just not just in hearing it as James 1.22 says, but Lord, we want to obey it. We want to be hearers and doers of your word. Please give us that ability, that insight as we do so in your name that you might be glorified and we, your people, may be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's what it says in John 2. First miracle of Jesus. I'm going to be real short. I love this passage, and I have just a couple quick points I want to leave with you. It says in John 2, 1, English Standard Version, on the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan. Hang on one second. On the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Let me just stop there because I just want to just clean that up just to help you guys with that. The Jewish rites of purification is just a really fancy way of saying there were six water jars there for people that entered your house that needed to have their feet washed. It was for foot washing primarily. It was for foot washing and it was for the washing of your hands. So it was purification. But I didn't want you guys to think that it was anything like really deep or really uh, super spiritual. It was just basically uh, sanitation and personal hygiene reasons the water was there. And thank God, you know, I mean, they walked with sandals, just a little thin piece of leather separating them from dirt, mud, and other debris. So when they arrived at their destination, their feet were pretty dirty. So it was common hospitality in Palestine and all the Eastern nations pretty much to provide some form of cleansing of one's feet and personal hygiene when they entered your home. You know, it's kind of like equivalent today of, you know, some people, you know, I don't know many people that do this anymore, but you know, it used to be a time when I was a kid when you go to somebody's house, they'd ask you to take, you would take your shoes off at the door. You guys remember that? That's for, you know, uh, particular over clean, hyper, super active, cleanly people that do that. I won't, I won't call my wife's name, but, but, but if you come to our house, you're welcome to either, you know, take your shoes off or, or leave them on. She'll say if you leave them on, you'll need to stay there at, by the door in the vestibule area. Uh, but but no, no I, th I just think it's the equivalent to that, that it was a household courtesy that uh, you wouldn't uh, drag your mud and other debris into someone's house in the first century so you would have a place there, a little cleaning station for washing your feet. So that's what that um, uh, Jewish rites of purification means. And so each of these uh, water jars, they were probably made of clay, guys. I'm still in verse 6. Held about 20 to 30 gallons. I'm really kind of amazed that the Bible has something that's not 100% precise, 20 or 30 gallons. I'm, I'm just amazed that John didn't just like nail that. You know, say it was 27.3 gallons of water or 25 gallons, but it was either 20 or 30 gallons. And that could have meant that there were two sizes of jars. Maybe there were some 20-gallon size jars or 30-gallon size jars. Don't think that it's, you know, a rough estimate because they didn't specifically spell it out because I'm going to make a point about that here shortly. So there were these six jars in verse 6. 
that were for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons of water. Verse 7, Jesus said to his servants, to the servants rather, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. By the way, that's significant. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This was the first of his signs Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples and they stayed there for a few days. That's why I kind of thought that the whole family was at this wedding. Let me just uh, bring this mic down just a little bit. That's at the uh, podium. Okay. All right. Okay. So here, here's what here's what all of this means. I, I think it's a fascinating story. It's Jesus' first miracle. And I just think that there's just so much to unpack there. And I'll just cut right to the chase. The first thing I think is important for us to realize is that the couple invited Jesus. Let me just say to you guys, if you're young and you're contemplating getting married or you've, you've gotten married, maybe you haven't reached the point where Deb and Raj was last week when we celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary here after service. You may not be at year 50 yet, but if you're newlywed or you're thinking about getting married or you're engaged, let me just say this to you. Invite Jesus into your life. Invite him into your wedding. Invite him into your whole lifestyle. Invite him into your goals, your ambitions, your dreams, your, your passions. Whatever you think is important to you, whatever you are interested in, make Jesus a part of it. Make the Lord a part of your life. Amen. I love that this couple, this nameless couple who we know nothing about, possibly a peasant company couple living out in the sticks far from the, uh, you know, hustle and bustle of the big, big city life. They invited Jesus and his disciples to grace their home at this wedding celebration. And I think it's just excellent. I think it's great advice. The Lord is interested in your life. He's interested in your marriage. He's interested in your family. He's interested in your job. He's interested in your career. He's interested in your goals, your dreams, and aspirations. He loves all of it. It's a part of all of it. Amen. He loves you anyway. He may not love all your plans because they may not be his will. But he's there for you to help you. Amen? Amen? Amen. So I thought the second thing that really struck my attention was that Jesus' mother came to him and said, they have no wine. And I just thought, like, she had this presence of mind to know when you're in need of something, come to the Lord. The Bible says that we should come boldly to the throne of grace casting all of our cares on him for he cares for us there's nothing that's too insignificant right there's nothing that's too minor too diminished too unimportant for the lord when we come to him he listens even for stuff that may seem mundane or trivial to us the lord counts it as important because we brought it to him amen Amen. all right so i i just i just love that part i also love the fact that my daughter and son from Michigan, just walked in the door. Love you, Kia, Wendell, and kids. Um, so this 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 entire this in, this entire encounter so far, it just blows my mind. The Lord said, "They're out." I mean, this, the mother says they're out of wine. And so I, I I did a little bit of just cursory research and found out that you'd run out of wine, 
you can get you can get fined for that. It was a serious offense. It wasn't just social faux ran out of wine and you didn't have enough for everybody. It was just unforgivable almost to run out of food or drink at a wedding feast. And that if you've invited people, remember, let me just tell you why this is so important. This was a seven-day affair. So people have taken off work, they've left their businesses, they've maybe left their families. They're hanging out with you, perhaps staying overnight for seven days where they're not generating income, right? And, and you run out of food. What? That was just, you know, that was an offense of high proportions. This was no small matter. So Jesus' mother would come to Jesus with something that would seem like it was so insignificant. If you're out of wine, go to the person that's in charge of banquet affairs. Go to the wine master. Go to the head of the house. Go somewhere. Talk. Why Jesus? He was, wait, wait, guys. He was an invited guest. You're asking Jesus for wine. He should be asking you for wine. Jesus was invited like everyone else. So Mary goes to him and says, we're out of wine. And Jesus says, um, ma'am, that's what the actual word means in the Greek. I know it sounds harsh, but the way he said it was something like this probably. Ma'am, that's really not something that I'm supposed to be getting involved in right now. That's really not my agenda right now. That's not my work at this time. My hour has not yet come that I go public. But his hour had come that he went public then. Maybe he meant just because of that request is not the reason I'm going public. There are other reasons. And I think that what the Lord was saying to her is that I need to follow different orders right now. I need to go a different direction. No disrespect. This was not something that the Lord was saying that was supposed to be out of order. This was very much in order, right? By the way, listen to this. Whenever someone says no disrespect, you just, you're getting ready to get disrespected. <laughs> That's just what that means. I'm sorry. When you preface the sentence, hey, no disrespect, but I really don't like that outfit. You have just insulted me. <laughs> So you just, just wait for it. When you hear that preface, wait for it. Jesus was not disrespecting Mary by calling her a woman. He was actually saying in the, in the literal Koine Greek, which was the common language, ma'am, madame, madam, I want you to know that I'm working on the Father's agenda right now. And by the way, the fact that this was Jesus' first public miracle, don't think, guys, for those of you that might be on the fringes, or those of you that are listening on Zoom, uh, that's right, I'm looking at you, Tim. Don't think that this was the Lord endorsing alcoholism. Just kidding, Tim. I know you wouldn't drink. <laughs> Tim is in the greatest shape of all, all of us probably. No, no, the Lord wasn't endorsing alcoholism. This was not a moratorium on drinking that he turned water to wine. I want you to know that. It wasn't a license for that. Matter of fact, by the way, the wine in the first century Palestine, matter of fact, most of the East, was really about a three to two ratio of water to wine. Two parts wine, three parts water. That's what I've read. And I've actually looked at some other historical texts by great writers like Alfred Edershine, who wrote a lot of Jewish history for the Old Testament. Josephus wrote a lot of non-canon scripture for the New Testament. 
There were wines that were typically four and five and six parts water to one part wine. So the wine almost served as kind of like an organic antiseptic or something that would remove the pathogens from the water. Wine was actually used as a source of purification in some cases. It certainly wasn't designed to get you drunk because it was going to be pretty difficult to get drunk with wine that's diluted six to one, right? You'd have to do a whole lot of drinking, even though the Lord made somewhere between 120, 180 gallons of wine, you're not going to consume all of that. And if you did, very good chance that you're not going to get drunk. That wasn't the purpose of it. It, was the, it had various Jewish custom purposes. It was the part of their culture. It wasn't drinking for the sake of getting high. Amen? Amen. And just in case you forgot, Paul said over in Ephesians, I think it's 5.18, 6.18, somewhere around there. He says, be not drunk with wine, wherein it is excess. King James says debauchery. He says, in other words, public drunkenness was uh, just non-acceptable. It was insulting. It was not something that people did. He said, don't be drunk with wine. Whereas that's excessive. He said, but be filled. I love that. Be filled with the spirit. By the way, that word there in the Greek, filled, and I've told you guys this before, it's nothing new here. The word filled there actually is referring to be under the influence of, be under the control of, be under the control of the spirit, uppercase S, not under the control of spirits, lowercase s. So, Jesus was not abrupt or harsh. He was very polite and very sensitive to his mother, which we would expect nothing less. So the Bible says, and, and Rod, you preached on this some years ago. I don't know if you guys remember it. But, but the mother in verse 5 of, of John chapter 2 said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. The uh, King James Version renders it that way. The New, the New American Standard Version says, whatever he says to you, do it. I like that because that's just saying, just believe. Whatever the Lord says, just do it. And the servants were obedient. Matter of fact, the Bible says in verse 7 that Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. So we're talking somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water that they had available, which I think just in and of itself just suggests superabundance. When God meets our needs, guys, <laughs> he didn't just go down to the corner store and get a six-pack of wine. He brought 100, 180 gallons exceedingly. I think of Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. The Lord just, when he meets our needs, everybody, he provides more than enough, overflowing, Shaken together, packed, just, he gives us, our cup runs over. Psalms 23 says, the Lord doesn't just barely, okay, the Lord just, you know, I, I, I needed $6 to pay the bill. The Lord gave me 601 uh, <laughs> No, the Lord just meets our needs. He fixes things in a super abundant way. And he gave them more than enough. Matter of fact, remember when he fed the 5,000 in John 6? And he said, collect all the extras, all the leftovers, anything that wasn't eaten. There were 12 full baskets 
of fish sandwiches that the Lord had the disciples collected. That was over and above all that they had eaten. Not just the 5,000 men, ladies and gentlemen. There were women and children there too. Some estimates have been that there was in the neighborhood of 12,000 people there at the great feeding of the 5,000 there in John 6. By the way, there was a feeding of 4,000 too. So when you factor in women and children, which unfortunately women and children weren't counted, you know, there was like 10, there were double digits. There was 10,000 or plus people perhaps at this feeding and there were still 12 full baskets left over. Why? Because the Lord does exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, it says in Ephesians 3.20. So the Lord provided all this excess. He met their needs. And then finally, finally, my last point before you're walking, before I share the Monday morning moment of walking points, he says in verse 8 of John 2, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Now watch the wording here, everybody. This is important. I think this is how God works with us. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom over and said, this stuff is the bomb. That's my translation of it. <laughs> this stuff is great. <laughs> because usually you go, go to a party, I guess the idea was, by the time you, you serve the good wine first, by the time your palate can no longer differentiate between rock gut and, and good wine, then you throw the bad stuff out there and you know maybe you're slightly inebriated or buzzed or whatever and you, you don't know the difference. But he said, no, this stuff is better than the other stuff, which quote unquote was supposed to be the good stuff. So it, it occurred to me when I looked at the wording there that it says that the, the party master or the, the master of the feast, what's his title again? The uh, master of the feast tasted the water now become wine. I got the impression, ladies and gentlemen, that the water did not turn to wine until it was distributed. It didn't happen in the pots. Now watch this. You say, well, you're, you're, you're making a distinction without a difference. Yeah, there is a difference. The, the point is, is that Jesus said, fill the pots with water. And by the way, before I come back to that, I'm so glad that the Bible says that they fill the pots, the jars, to the brim. That's important to me because I'm, re I'm reminded of an incident that happened in 1 Kings where the prophet Elisha, that's with an S, told King Joash, hey, you want victory over the Assyrians? Shoot an arrow out the window. And the king obeyed him. But then he said, now take the rest of your arrows and shoot them into the ground. Strike the ground with your arrows. The Bible says that King Joash only shot three arrows into the ground. You guys with me? Okay, just in case you don't believe me, don't look it up now, but I want you to look it up when you get at home. Get your arms in 1 Kings 17. It's a great passage. He says, shoot the arrows into the ground, plural. King Joash, everybody, only shot three arrows into the ground. And Elisha... This guy is dying, by the way. He died shortly after that. This guy is on his deathbed. You listen to people closely when they're dying or they're close to the end or you respect your elders either way. But this was something that Joash didn't do. And here this man is dying and he gives you these instructions essentially on his deathbed. He says, shoot the arrows into the ground, which was code for the remaining arrows that's in your quiver, shoot them into the ground and you will get victory over your enemy. 
The guy pulls out three arrows. Three. And he shoots three into the ground. Now you may say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is that he was doing that just out of courtesy to, to, to Elisha. It was perfunctory. It was just a habit. It was just, he was just honoring the request. He didn't believe him. He didn't believe Elijah, and he didn't believe God. And because of his lack of faith, the Lord said, you're now only going to get three victories over the Assyrians and not total victory. That, Rod Wells, is a sermon in and of itself. Because I wonder how many of us are not using what God has given us to the maximum. And so we, we operate with less than the best. We operate with, with insufficient power and insufficient abilities because we only give God the bare minimum and we don't use all the resources and all the talents and all the abilities that he's deposited in us. So we give him back a token amount and we live a substandard life. We live less than God's best. That's an amazing account. Y'all read that in 1 Kings 17. So back to my point. I believe the miracle of the water to wine occurred when the servants, that's the key. Mary, the mother of Jesus, said whatever he says to do, do it. Jesus said, fill the water pots up. They filled it to the brim. Jesus said, take it to the master of the feast. They did so. The Bible says that the water became wine when the servants delivered it to the feast master because the miracle, the miracle involved the distribution. The Lord performed the miracle, but if they didn't distribute it, as far as they were concerned, it was just water in a pot. But they distributed it, and the Lord allowed them, watch this, to realize the miracle. God had done the miracle, but it meant nothing to them until they took receipt of it. Are you all with me? I'm almost done. I'm in, I'm, yeah, I'm less than five minutes from sitting down. That's why you can put a watch on me. Listen, the miracle was in the distribution. Here's, here's how I know that. Here's how I know that. I went all the way back to Kings again. I don't know. I was just in the Old Testament. I took a chapter out of Tyrone's book or something. But I went back to Kings again, and I found a miracle that Elijah with a J performed. And it's when he went to meet with the widow of Zarephath. Remember that? She was down to her last meal. She said, we only got one. We only have enough oil and wine to make one cake. Me and my son was going to eat it and then die. Elijah said, the Lord said, you make the cake for me first, and you'll never run out of oil or, or, or flour until the famine is over. She made a cake for Elijah with a J, and she ate for the rest of her life. Her and her son never went hungry. They never ran out. The miracle was this. Every time she gave him a cake, every time she went back, there was more flour and more oil. What if she gives him the cake and says, okay, that was it, so we're, about, we're just going to sit here and die? No. The key was you got to believe. You got to go back to the source. You got to go back. You have to trust God. You have to make the effort. You have to make the step. You have to reach out and receive, and then you realize.
realize you take possession of the miracle. If you're just sitting back and saying, well, I God ain't done nothing for me yet, or God hasn't moved this situation for me yet, or God hasn't delivered me yet, or God hasn't given me a breakthrough yet. If you keep sitting back thinking that God's going to knock you over, you're going to be sitting there until you die. You have to step up and receive it and say, Lord, yes, I'll check the bin. If there's no oil, if there's no, I'm going to keep looking. If you say shoot the arrows, I'm going to shoot all my arrows. I'm going to borrow Coach's arrows. I'm going to get Justin's arrows. Yes. I'm going to find yes. everything I got yes. to get a victory. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. See, if, if I were a younger man like I used to be, I'd be running around the church, <laughs> jumping over chairs and stuff. But see, I've learned from Andre Couch, Crouch, you ain't got to jump no pews. Or run down no aisles. <laughs> the Lord is that you have the Holy Ghost either way. <laughs> All right. So here's my walking points. Number one, always invite Jesus into your life and every part of your life, every affair of your life, because he wants to be a part of it. Number two, the Lord will always meet and exceed your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And finally, even when you see no way out, John 10.10 says that the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come that you might have Zoe, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The Lord comes to give us abundance, not minimum, not just to get by barely, not just survival, but thriving. The Lord comes that we not just survive, but that we thrive. He gives us exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. And I love the fact that when we look at this account, that we see that the Lord came through for them, even when they didn't know what was going on. So let me just say to you, the Monday morning moment is kind of like really long, but this is just a good way of putting the whole message into a phrase. It says that, they didn't know what was going on, but I wrote in my notes, in every life, there are periods of darkness where we don't see the way. I know this is long, don't try to write it down. It's in the notes, I think you all got a handout. If you didn't, I'll make sure you get one. Things happen that we didn't see coming or understand why, but listen to this. Blessed is the one, this is really all you need to remember. Blessed is the one who trusts even when he can't understand. That's the key. Trusting God. Even when we don't understand the process. We don't know the ins and outs. We don't know the ones and zeros. We can't logically follow a path and reverse engineer what God is doing. But we just know that even though I don't understand how I got from point A to point B, as the old saints should say, I don't understand how I got over. I don't understand what God did, but it worked, yeah. and I, recept, I accept it. Yeah. I believe it, and I receive it. Amen. Yeah. You don't have to understand the mechanism. You don't have to understand the chemistry and all that God does. You don't have to know all the ins and outs. You don't need to understand all the dynamics and the individual things and specifics that he does. 
just know that God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all we ask or think. He doesn't owe us an explanation. He doesn't owe us a roadmap. He doesn't owe us a play-by-play description. He doesn't owe us anything. All we have to do is trust him, even when we don't understand, even when we don't know the path, even when we don't know what he's up to, even when we can't figure it out. Don't stop trusting, ladies and gentlemen. Don't stop believing, amen? Don't stop looking in the bottle of the the bin for the flour and the oil. Don't stop looking in the vase for the water to turn to wine. Don't stop looking to the source to take us from point A to point B. I feel you, coach. I'm full. I feel the Lord's presence here. And it's too bad because it's time for me to sit down. And I'm just getting started. I'm just getting As the old old preacher used to say, I'm looking at my son-in-law back there, Wendell. Over you say, I feel you, Holy Ghost. I feel my strength coming. And I'm I'm there. I'm there. But that seat is there. No, you said you're going to sit down in five minutes. And they're looking at their watches. No, I know y'all not. But you know what? I'm going to just say this. Don't stop trusting. Amen. Amen. Don't stop believing. I'm sweating and I'm crying and I'm losing my voice, but I'm going to get this out. Don't stop trusting God. Amen. Amen. Don't let life knock you down. Don't let life keep you down. Don't let problems run you down. Don't let life run you over. Amen. God has better things for us. God has better things for us. Don't be discouraged. If you're going through something, everybody that's online, if you're going through something, don't be discouraged. I know I'm looking at the screen. I should be looking at the camera. You're going through something, don't you be discouraged. Amen? Don't be down. Don't be dejected. Amen? God is still in control of this thing. The Lord is still running this show. It may seem like the devil has the upper hand, but the Lord is still in charge. Amen. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. Be encouraged. Amen. Be encouraged. These young peasant family couple that ran out of wine thought it was the end of the world. But the Lord said, no, sweetie, this is only the beginning. I got plans for y'all. I got plans. And the Lord has plans for us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I'm going to ask the elders.